0: What do the most successful, growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens. With all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: There are two dimensions here that we feel very strongly about. Voting is core to our democracy and it's core to Reddit. And having fair elections is something that is sacred and that Reddit wants to play a, a role in facilitating and certainly want to work against forces that would prevent that. And there are a lot of dimensions to this, you know, not just preventing misinformation, but also you know, sharing the, I think, important information, where to vote, when to vote, how the elections work, all of that, what the options are, all of these things. And I know that we in society would generally believe that together.
2: You're listening to What I Know from Inc. Magazine. I'm Christine ligorio Chafkin. Today's episode, build your vision of the future, then multiply it by 10. We are in the thick of election season, which I've come to, in my job as a reporter, think of as misinformation season. It's the time we as citizens have to look with scrutiny on every piece of political content we see online, especially on social media. That it's become our own burden to suss out truth in news and advertising and propaganda brings up so many issues who's responsible, the government, the regulatory agencies, the social media companies themselves. My guest today is also in the thick of it, and he's been there before with the 2016 election cycle in which his site hosted a major hub of support for Donald Trump, the candidate. Steve Huffman, co-founder and CEO of Reddit, spoke with me about the rise of the community, the Donald, political disinformation online, and running a 700 person company through this pandemic so far. But long before Reddit was the seventh most popular site on the American internet, it was just a seed of a concept. And it wasn't even Huffman's or his partner Alexis Ohanian's idea.
1: And what was funny was we had applied to Y Combinator with a completely different idea that we were, you know, Alexis and I, when we went into those interviews were like, well, even if they reject us, we're still doing this idea. And then, of course, we were rejected and then we were just like, yeah, we'll work on whatever you want. Yeah, just just, you know, let us in. And so our, our ambitions changed quickly. But it's funny, I, the, the first year of Reddit was so interesting because everything was new. Um, y Combinator itself was new. Um, nobody knew what they were doing at Reddit. Uh, my motivation at the time was I don't want to look stupid in front of Paul Graham. Uh, If if you had asked me the, the mission of Reddit, I might have said something else around finding new and interesting content online. But to be honest with you, it was such a swirl that we were living probably more than I ever have in life in the present, in that moment, you know, just for that summer.
2: Yeah, I like that you say just living in the present for that summer. Um, I When I when I initially pictured Y Combinator and starting up, I, I pictured all of these now millionaire founders like in a room together, hungered down. But really, you were kind of at home, like in a rental apartment, working day in and day out with a couple co-founders, um, which, you know, maybe I, I'm wondering what that year taught you about how to start a company. And also maybe more relevant to this moment in time, how, how it taught you um, something about hunkering down at home and being heads down doing something big.
1: You know, I was just having that same thought, which was it felt a lot like COVID feels today. We spent all of our time around just a couple of people working in our uh, apartment nonstop. Uh, And that's all we thought about. That's all we did. We didn't have social lives. We didn't go out. We were just working. And I think one of the things that Paul and Y Combinator did a great job of was creating that environment where the only path you have to success is to work as hard as possible. That is your uh, advantage that you have right now. Um, He didn't say it's your naivety as well, but I think that was an aspect of it. And so we just worked really, really hard. We didn't know what we didn't know. Um, And I think that focus and hard work is what led those early classes of Y Combinator to have, I think, such a good shot at being successful.
2: Mm. And for folks who don't know, um, can you just give me a quick summary of that initial idea, that very seed of the idea of Reddit and what it grew into within the first year?
1: Sure. So Reddit uh, on day one was what... The, the outcome we wanted was people to find new and interesting content, and we wanted there to be a, a community behind that. But really, at its core, even after the first year, it was effectively a single community. It wasn't the the network of communities that Reddit is today.
2: Right. You didn't have any other page aside from the front page of Reddit, right?
1: Yeah. My timing is a little fuzzy. You may know better than me at this point. Um But I think we had just the maybe, I think we had two communities, three communities by that point. The main Reddit page, and uh, programming I think was the next most popular.
2: That first year, uh, when we were you were saying you were kind of hunkered down with a singular goal in mind, you had been given a few thousand dollars to work over a summer to build a company. Um, Is that the best way to go about making a startup? Just a couple guys, singular goal, stuck in an apartment, no view of the outside world. You know, I, I think
1: I could, we could probably have a long conversation about the, the nuances of that, of that, but by and large, I think in life, th- there's it's so difficult to get started on anything that one piece of advice I give often is to just dive in the deep end, just start doing something. So in this case, it was programming and shipping and, and building this product. But whether it's learning a new hobby or learning a new skill or making a, you know, big change in in your life i think the hardest part is getting going and so i always say don't stress about the details and dive in and certainly on reddit that was the case you know we weren't stressing well stressing is is the wrong word because we were very very stressed out um but we weren't worried about you know the next two weeks or the next month let alone the next year or beyond because it just seemed like well let's just dive in and and see where the challenges are
2: Right. I mean, as they say, you can't drive a parked car.
1: (laughs) Uh, I have not heard that, but that makes (laughs) a lot of sense, which is funny because um, we had another saying that in in Y Combinator at the time, which is, if you spend all of your time looking into the rearview mirror, you will drive into a wall. Um, And that is to say, if you spend all of your time thinking about competitors and uh, other companies, that you're not going to build the company in front of you.
2: Mm. Sure. And so in the first first year or so of building Reddit, um, what was what was the most significant challenge you worked through?
1: You know, if you had asked me then, I would give you an answer, something about scaling, spam, keeping the site online. Those were the the day to day challenges. If you ask me now, um, we didn't have a North Star for Reddit. We didn't know where we were going. And so we weren't making decisions with the long term in mind. This led to all sorts of things in terms of what um, projects we would take on. We sold the company early you know, after 18 months. I don't think we would have done that if we were planning on building the Reddit that exists today. We didn't really hire. We were a very small team and we didn't hire for a long time because it just felt like we were always thinking about, well, what does Reddit need next week? Well, probably not another 100 employees. You know, it needs the solution to this you know, this particular scaling challenge.
2: As you mentioned, you sold Reddit uh, to Condé Nast in 2006. Then you started another company, uh, the travel plan ranking and booking site Hipmunk, and you built that. As Reddit, meanwhile, sort of ballooned in popularity, and totally devolved in terms of its content and its moral compass. I mean, the Speaking of a moral compass, it didn't really spin out of control. It just sort of didn't exist. Now, this is many years in time that I'm fast forwarding through right now. But, but after some years, there came a moment where you kind of couldn't stay away from Reddit any longer. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah. So I left Reddit in 2009, at the end of 2009. Shortly thereafter, started Hitmonk, RIP. I had to book my flights on this trip for the first time in 10 years without Hitmonk and I'm, I'm re-energized to start another travel company and was there for five years and towards the end of that so now we're in the end of 2014 through the beginning of 2015 Reddit which had continued to grow we had uh, the, the I think one of the most inf- important features in the history of Reddit which was for users to create their own communities that had been out now for let's call it six years and so Reddit had turned into this vibrant network of communities, and though I think Reddit was overwhelmingly a really positive and interesting place, they did face a series of crises, uh, each, in in my opinion, and I don't think I'm alone in this opinion, more existential than the last. And so while I had this abstract idea that um, I'd like to be back at Reddit, it's it's like you know I. It was, it was the main thing I had spent my career to that point thinking about. And I thought there was just so many opportunities and missed opportunities. And so this thought was just constantly going in the back of my head and then watching Reddit go through these crises. That was particularly frustrating to see because everything about Reddit had ossified. The product, I think, policies, views on content and some of those things I think we're never meant to be ossified. Um, and, and as we've learned, certainly over the last five years, need to be actually quite fluid. And so watching Reddit just be stuck and frozen and not taking on some of these challenges was very frustrating.
2: And what, what was the, I mean, you, was, you mentioned a series of challenges that was, uh, you know, kind of a series of user revolts, really. Um, wh- what was the thing that got you to come back?
1: Well, so it had been an ongoing conversation between me and reddit for for months at that point so now we're into july of 2015 i was at um, a good friend of mine's 30th birthday party and many people many close friends of mine uh, were were there and that was a day after what we refer to at reddit as the blackout where the moderators of many large communities um, took their communities private effectively shutting their communities down and then therefore effectively shutting Reddit down. Um, The blackout itself lasted for a day or so, if I recall, but the the anger from that persisted. And so it was that weekend where actually, incidentally, after a conversation with Michael Seibel, who will come up again in our story today, I'm sure, where I realized that you know, Reddit is more important to the world, you know, now than Hitmonk will ever be. And the main obstacle at that point for me returning to Reddit had nothing to do with Reddit. It was me not wanting to leave Hitmonk, the other company that I'd started. Um, and with the employees um, of which I had really close friendships and bonds with. But at that point, it was like, Reddit Reddit is not going to survive this moment. Um, and And I think I can help. And so that was the 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 thought process. And so I had told Reddit's board, I think that was a Sunday um, that weekend, and the following Friday was my first day back at work. So it's a pretty violent transition on on both sides.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um in in writing my book and reporting on my book and um and learning those stories, it was honestly one of the most fascinating leadership stories I've ever encountered is how you had to step back into this company. And I mean, it's not just because the site was in active re- revolt at the time um, with a lot of personal attacks happening and bad stuff just on the site had had a, his- a history of bad stuff on the site. But also, you walked into a group of, of employees who were also in revolt. Um, and into this thing you'd created, and had to stand up and, and talk to these employees about changes that need to be made. Needed to be made. Um, how did you? How did you do that? How did you get through that that challenging moment?
1: You know, one day at a time, and it wasn't always pretty. Um, there are certainly things I think, in hindsight, I, I probably would have done differently. Well, certainly would have done differently. Um, but the, the first thing was you know with the employees i felt the same way they did i don't know if I was able to articulate it and i know i don't know that they were either but the feeling was we love reddit right? that's why we're here we're also angry at reddit that's why you know we feel this way um, and 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 reconciling that and i think i think uh, a, a lot of people at reddit Had challenges reconciling that of how can I be angry at this thing but also feel so loyal to it and it was in that thought process that I think led to a lot of really great things which is understanding reddit better like we had never asked these questions before or certainly if we had asked them I don't think we had great answers like why do we all love reddit why do uh, our users love reddit why even though we're in the press for all of the wrong reasons um, Some of it unfair, but plenty of it fair. Why do we continue to grow despite all of that? The product hasn't changed. We don't know what we're doing. We're all angry about it. And yet we're growing. Uh, I spent a lot of time in those days thinking about that question and getting to the core of Reddit. And the core of Reddit is, the answer to that question is that people derive an incredible amount of value from Reddit. It is a, I think, fundamental human need for community and belonging. And that's what Reddit provides. And so even despite all of the, the challenges we were facing um, uh, as employees, as users, just in the world at large, uh, Reddit fulfilled a need. And that's why it was so important. And so bringing everything back to that need, we've you know that was the way out of that difficult situation. And really we've been doing that for the last five years.
2: Yeah. Um, one of the first things you did as, as CEO, uh, the second time around was, uh, kind of tackle content policy, which has, you know, since, uh, you know, since five years ago, become um, really top of mind when it comes to the way anyone is thinking about social networks. What were some of the first steps you made? And um, and how did you uh, approach it all differently? I mean, there had been and still was just a lot of bad stuff on Reddit. There was, you know, the shaming of various groups of people, white supremacy, all stripes of hate speech, revenge, pornography, I, I could go on, but I don't need to because you can get the picture. Like, what did you do? Um, and how did you tackle this community that that really believed in free speech overall
1: Well um, there were things we did immediately which was create a content policy the content policy that reddit had at that at that time was was very short and clearly it wasn't working um, something a, a saying that I have a lot um, one of my I think kind of management principles is if the status quo isn't working then, you have to do something. You may not know what the right something is or the, what the right path is, but if the status quo is not working, you know you're not on the right path. And so at the time, the status quo was not working. So we started with the content policy. I, I had thought at the time, if we just write down what is and is not allowed on Reddit and enforce that aggressively, right, that would be a step in the right direction. Now, I've, I've learned something, and that's what we tried to do. And so we, we took a first pass at it. Uh, we, we banned a number of communities, a number of problematic communities. And it, it was a step in the right direction. Now, I, I've later learned there's, there's so much, I think, you know, it, importance to the nuance of those policies and how we enforce them and how we explain them. And so it's really been an ongoing process over the last five years since then. But... Within the first month or so of, of coming back, we did take, I think, a uh, one of our first big bites out of the problem.
2: Yeah. What What are some of the nuances that you speak of? Um, I mean, there's I, I assume there's many, um, and uh, I understand that simply laying out the policy is the first step. But what are what are some of the kind of deeper layers there that to unpack?
1: Sure. So in the beginning of Reddit, we did not want to remove content. And we did that because we wanted Reddit to be authentic and trustworthy. And one of the, the context in which we created Reddit was, uh, you know, us, I think, coming of age, starting to develop our own political worldviews and feeling like the world was fake. The news is spun. Marketing is bullshit. Um, this was even pre-influencer, but it just there's like a, a phoniness to to everything, and, and so it was important to us that we let Reddit just be real. That we won't remove content. We are not the editors. The users are the editors, and so that was the the modus operandi for the the first phase of Reddit, and that's what ossified uh, into the kind of the, the free speech Reddit that we that we uh, took over in 2015. What what the challenge with that is there was both, you know, content that I think, you know, you and I and any reasonable person would agree is just bad, right? Abhorrent content uh, on Reddit. Um, There was another class of content just created by users with the sole intention of of forcing us to make difficult or impossible tradeoffs. Well, if you believe in free speech, then you won't ban this, you know, constantly testing where's the line, where's the line, where's the line. And, and, and so in those days, I wasn't, you know, I, I felt that, and I, I remember having this conversation internally, I said to the team, we don't have to get it perfect, but we do need to move forward here. And I can't articulate, like, I, I don't have the perfect words to articulate what we're trying to do in every case, but we know, for example, these communities and this class of communities and this behavior is not acceptable. And so that led to a series of content policy changes. You know, we've made well over a dozen uh, over the last five years.
2: Yeah, for instance, what's, what's the latest change that you've made in policy?
1: So the, the, the status quo coming into 2020 was this, um, our strategy of behavior, not beliefs. That is, um, we're not going to litigate um, people's beliefs what, you know, we're not going to have an opinion on what people can and can't think, but we do care about their behaviors, how they express those thoughts. And so that led us to our content policy changes around um, not glorifying or inciting violence, no harassments, no bullying, um, all of those behaviors. And it turns out like the bad content, the bad communities on Reddit pretty much violate all of our rules in, in, in one way or another. But even still, that wasn't enough because we didn't have a policy in our policy. We didn't explicitly address hate. And we felt that our existing rules and this idea of behavior and beliefs covered those behaviors um, and, you know, would address those communities. But this is what I think we referred to at the time as being technically right um, and it wasn't satisfying for us. And it wasn't satisfying for our communities. And it was difficult to articulate. And even worse, when I did try to articulate it, people would often come away with almost the opposite of our intentions, right? They think, oh, well, this bad content is allowed on Reddit, because it's not technically against the rules. And that was a big problem, big problem for, for everybody. And so The the thought we had this year that's informed the latest version of our content policy, which does take an explicit uh, position against hate on Reddit, is there are all kinds of speech. And there is speech that prevents other people from speaking. It, It makes people feel unsafe and unwelcome And it is working directly against our mission to bring community and belonging to everybody in the world. And often in these conversations around policy and speech, it's easy to get abstract and create hypotheticals. What would you do in this situation? What would you do in this situation? It's easy to invent, uh, you know, these kind of moral dilemmas. But the reality is we weren't facing a moral dilemma. We were facing a very real trade-off. We had content on Reddit that was preventing other people from enjoying Reddit. We had content on Reddit that was... Uh, working against our mission. So when we look at it that way, these decisions started to fall into place. And that led to the latest version of our content policy, which still has all the, the behaviors that are not allowed, but is very clear that um, hate is not allowed on Reddit. And, um, and all of the communities and content adjacent to that, we ultimately removed in a, in a big action over the summer.
2: When we come back, Steve and I will continue our discussion on content moderation. But first, a quick break.
0: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place.
2: is sort of tracking with and anticipating a moving target of what people find socially acceptable online and also what's actively causing harm in the world um, that is in the realm of things that we may have formerly thought of as free speech. In the last presidential election um, and in how the lead up to it played out on Reddit in forums such as The Donald should perhaps have taught us far more than it seems to have. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, sort of what you saw happening on Reddit In in forums like the Donald, and what that should have taught us um, about this election cycle today?
1: So, yeah, the Donald was an interesting community. They were one part a troll community, you know, a community that was kind of testing the boundaries of our policies and of Reddit, and, you know, perhaps deliberately making us uncomfortable, uh, which is. You know I think we have some patience for I think it's good to um, I think it's good to consider these things that are on the edge of our policies um, because our policies constantly need evolution and I think it keeps us honest there's another part of that community that you know just served to antagonize you know the other political communities on reddit you know the Donald was a right-leaning community and so they would just antagonize the left-leaning communities which is Annoying, but not against our content policy. And then there was a a facet of that community that was just breaking the rules, right? Bullying, uh, misinformation, inciting violence uh, and glorifying violence and things like that. And so there was a, a lot all wrapped up in the one there. And so we actually, I think, in considering the Donald over the years and, you know, adapting our policies to kind of meet these new challenges. We learned a lot. I think we learned a lot at Reddit and I think there's a lot to learn uh, in the world. And so some of the things we learned is that, you know, at Reddit, we there is a there's an implied uh, becoming more explicit agreement between us and our communities that if you want to have your community on Reddit, you need to abide not just by the letter of our policy, but by the spirit of our policies as well. So creating more flexibility there, and this is and that's something we explicitly wrote in the latest version of our content policy that the spirit of these rules is as important as the letter of the rules, and so we will hold communities accountable to that. If they're not being good citizens of Reddit, then we will, you know, you know we will ask them to leave or shut them down. The other lesson we learned there is to. Keep an eye on these things and not let them metastasize into something more problematic. For example, other platforms right now have been struggling to deal with the QAnon uh, conspiracy theories in those groups. But we saw that two years ago. We banned those communities from Reddit two years ago. And we did that because we had learned these lessons already. That these things that start off small, they seem inconsequential. Okay, it's just crazy people being crazy. Can metastasize into something more... Uh, sinister and dangerous, and and so now we've seen that play out, and which is why we were years ahead on a community like that.
2: Right. I mean, and most recently, um, Holocaust deniers. Right. Facebook finally, uh, finally said something about it, and is uh, well, I guess said something that is we are, <laughs> we are actually taking action here.
1: Yeah, and you know the challenge here, where I think we as a society, you know, are, are grappling with this as well. To be fair is that we have values in conflict, right? In the United States, one of the founding principles of the United States is free speech. And so there have been Holocaust deniers in the United States, you know, since the Holocaust, effectively. And we all know it's false, but under the, the lens of, or through the lens of free speech, that idea is allowed to persist. And... It's not like that in every country, right? It's not allowed in Germany. It's against the law. And so I can see like these things are when you, they can be difficult challenges when you look at it through that lens. But when you look at it through the lens of, you know, maybe your own personal values, certainly our personal values at Reddit and, and, and my own, we say, well, that's, you know, this is a problem. You know, we shouldn't allow this. And so often changes to our content policy are a result of uh, a, a conflict or a gap between what we believe is the right thing to do for our platform or greater society, and the you know our existing policies. And so I think there has and and you know we've had I think challenges over the years of you know not wanting to be the you know, the moral police, but also wanting to do what's right and wanting to create policies that are easy to understand and we can enforce at scale. And so all of these things I think are, are tugging on each other. But at the end of the day, I think um, we, Reddit, and, and the other platforms, to give them credit, are moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we stumble, we trip, we encounter a new problem. And from the outside observer's perspective, sometimes these things look so simple. Oh, it's just black and white. Well, that thing's bad. It needs to go away. And I understand that perspective because sometimes I have that personally.
2: Sure, sure. I mean, I think it's a little more clear cut when it comes to, say, active misinformation um, on, um, vo- you know, or voter suppression. Um, when it comes to, say, tinkering with an election and actually having influence on that, misinformation um, is less easier to swallow, right? Than than say, oh, let's have something be available in the future for researchers to be able to pour over or have the. The broadest amount of information available online. I mean, what's been going on lately with Facebook and allowing, you know, active voter suppression um, on on the site is. Uh, I think it's just very. It seems a little more clear cut. Is all I'm going to say. I
1: I, you know, I would agree with you. Well, so let you me know, ask, could...
2: what's what's the problem there? Um, taking a look at Facebook in particular, is it in policy? Is it in enforcement? Is it messaging? Actual politics, or some messy combination of all of those?
1: I actually haven't been a Facebook user in in years, but I know they are working against that, working against that problem. And so you are probably my intuition is only as good as yours. And all of the things you mentioned are probably factors in this. From our point of view, that's there are two dimensions here that we feel very strongly about. Voting is core to our democracy and it's core to Reddit and having fair elections is something that is sacred and that reddit wants to play a a role in facilitating and certainly want to work against forces that would prevent that and there are a lot of dimensions to this you know not just preventing misinformation but also you know sharing the i think important information where to vote when to vote how the elections work all of that like, what the options are all of these things and and i know the the i think we at we in society would generally believe that together.
2: There's a, there's a congressional hearing coming up later this month, um, most likely with, with um, a few tech CEOs. Am I, am I correct that you have not been subpoenaed to speak at that?
0: Not that I'm aware of.
2: But... <laughs> well, how much do you think the government should be regulating on all of this with an eye toward, of course, election stability and um, partisan information flow online? Um, and is it, the, is it the business's responsibility or is it the government's?
1: Well, the challenge is, okay, if you're going to ask me personally, yes, the government has a lot of agency here. This is one of the purposes of the government is to host the election and for that election to be fair and credible. So yes, the government has a lot of responsibility here. At the same time, it's the government or people in government who are participating in voter suppression, in gerrymandering, and all of the other facets of undermining a fair election. So the government is the I think, first line of defense. And they're also the first person I would look to, to get their act together if they really believe in fair elections. And it is terrifying to me as an American that I think I can credibly make that accusation of our own government, that I don't think all of their hearts are in the right place.
2: One thing about all of the changes in content policy over the years is that they always risked losing users for Reddit. But over time, I would assume that they they may have actually been good for business. I mean, Reddit today is considered a unicorn, valued at more than a billion dollars. Um, I, I assume it's easier to sell ads against um, friendlier content. Um, how are you on track to actually become a billion dollar business in terms of, say, ad sales?
1: Well, ad sales is growing great. You know it's funny if you had told, um, you know, back in two thousand five, I was not a fan of the ads business, and so it's been quite an evolution, I think, for me and Reddit, the platform. Um, but we've learned we've learned a lot there too, um, in that advertisers want to connect with their customers, in uh, around common interests, um, around a shared love of their product or a shared love of, you know, call it video games or movies or. know cars or whatever it is and so we've seen that evolution and and we've seen the with on reddit the increase in quality of the advertiser of the um, ads themselves of the of the placement being more intentional having more people do amas and participate in communities and so all of that's working together to both help our business and i think create a better experience for both the advertisers our customers and the and the users
2: yeah, I imagine um, users are are really needing Reddit right now um, in the midst of the global pandemic. Um, I'm curious how the pandemic has changed things for for Reddit itself. Had how much of your you know the roadmap for 2020 is still intact now?
1: <laughs> yeah, great question. So in you know March and April, we basically redid our whole roadmap for the year. Wow, um, it was. You know we thought at the time we were going to see a pretty big swing in, in ad revenue um, and indeed we saw a swing but we also saw a recovery um, and we also so we pivoted our roadmap around that we pivoted our roadmap around what our users needed right they needed access to information so um, we had an initiative called stay home and stay sane um, so spreading uh, you know helpful information about the virus and what to do and then also, um, directing users towards communities that we thought would be of interest to them, you know. And so we saw a ton of new communities um, come up around, you know, new hobbies like, you know, everybody baking bread and and you know, learning learning new skills and just wanting to connect with people.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you could have you could have tracked the pandemic hobby kind of uh, spectrum through Reddit.
1: Oh, no doubt. No <laughs> no doubt. Um, and you know what to do with kids. All of a sudden, people's lives turned upside down with the um, parents who now have, uh, have become full-time you know, babysitters and teachers as well. And so there was just a lot to, to organize around. And of course, Reddit, the company, like many companies, went through all of those changes as well. Right? The, we were not a work-from-home, work-remote company, so we did the same pivot. And just learning how to operate and lead and make decisions, you know, over Zoom was was a was a big change for us as well.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm curious. You know, you've been at at multiple companies as they're in the fast growth period, um, and you invest in other companies as well. As as having one that I, you have more than 500 employees now. Is that correct?
1: 700 now.
2: 700. Oh, so. What, what do you see as the future of the workplace? What do you see as, as happening over the next couple of years and, um, and maybe beyond? And I don't, I don't mean, you know, when is the vaccine coming? I just mean, is, is this going to change us forever in a way?
1: It's definitely going to change us forever. There's no doubt about that. Um, in, in many ways, big and small. I think, well, it's hard to know what the future will be, you know, exactly, of course, in terms of how we work or any other aspect. I can tell you for certain that we will not go back to the way we were working before um, for a variety of reasons. One, uh, despite the disruption, there are also a number of silver linings to the way we work now. Um, We can hire outside of the cities where we have offices, so it gives us access to more talent. Um, we We communicate differently. I think there's actually... Uh, if you had asked me in July, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't take it any more of these VC Zoom meetings. Now I actually, I, th- I may actually prefer them to in-person. Mm. But that said, I, I miss the in-person contact. I, there's, there's people at Reddit, probably the majority of my relationships at Reddit were in-person. You know, I have lunch with somebody. I pass somebody in the hall. Or we're getting coffee together. Those relationships have definitely suffered. So it's been a challenge for me just to maintain those things. And so I'm looking forward to um, having some in-person contact. That said, I don't believe that the middle of a global pandemic is the best time to be making forever decisions uh, about how we work or about how we do anything. Um, the world keeps changing, you know month to month, if not weekly or daily. So right now our mentality is let's stay flexible, let's do our jobs to the best of our ability, and you know we will reorganize on the other side of all of this.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's sort of the way I've been personally operating. Um, And I've been asking uh, on this podcast, uh, as many leaders as I can, you know, how do you plan in the midst of a pandemic? Because it seems like a totally insane undertaking. Like, to what extent do you have a a plan for next year? And and or are you just holding on?
1: Well, next year, I'm actually feeling very optimistic about. So where things were scary in Q2 of this year, we're having a very strong year um, in Q3 and into the into the end of this year. So our ads business is, is growing um, quite a bit, um, quarter over quarter and year over year. So we feel great about that. Traffic has been growing. And we see, I think, new opportunities for Reddit. Um, people in the world, right? Our mission is community and belonging and people in the world need that now more than ever, right? They need that connection. And so there's... We're going to have all sorts of, I think, really fun, new products, new different ways for people to connect around interests and passions and, you know, create those bonds, you know, through our platform. So I'm actually really excited about 21. Now, I'll tell you a story though. If you had asked me this time a year ago, what I was excited about in 2020, I would have said, you know what? I'm so excited because for the first time since I've been back at Reddit, We have a long-term planning horizon and i'm so excited about 2020 because we'll be working on the same stuff that we're working on now the same strategy the same products we'll just keep moving it forward and you won't even feel the change to the new year and then you know little (laughs) did i know it would be 2020 and it would be our most you know disruptive and crazy chaotic year um, ever probably
2: steve looking back at the 15-year history of reddit what What's one thing that you wish you knew that you know now? And you can pick any time period, <laughs> any one thing.
1: Oh, my goodness. I could talk probably for hours on that one question. I think the the thought that I'm constantly amused by now is how little I knew about everything while at the same time how much i thought i knew about everything and so i've been given a number of like really really great pieces of wisdom by really smart and generous people over the last 15 years one of them one of the 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 pieces of advice that i love the most is uh what if they are right and so somebody's talking and I'm sitting here listening, thinking they're not, whatever, this is nonsense. And I'm kind of formulating my argument um, and or my rebuttal or whatever, or getting defensive or all of these things. And instead shifting that to what if they're right? Um, they believe they're right. Maybe they are. And that, I think, question and the humility that that it kind of enforces or forces upon me has been really effective. So yeah, there's a million product changes and things I would have loved to have said differently and lessons learned about speech and all of these things. But I think as a human being, that lesson has been one of the most valuable to me.
2: And does that reflect upon you now? I mean, do you think about broadening your, your view in terms of looking at the future? And how can we all do that?
1: Well, I think when thinking about the future the first thing to do is actually think about the future, right? I I don't know, you know, I can speak it from my own position. Um, There are certainly times when the future for me was only a week away. And so not not a year away, five years away, 10 years away. So first step is actually consider the future. And then I think there's a, the, the next step would be create a belief about what the future could look like. And then I would say, multiply that by like 10. That's where you should set your sights and then work back from there. Because one of the things that I've seen is that the people who have those sorts of beliefs get a lot closer than, you know, one might think is possible, you know, 10 years away. And so I think create that aspiration, increase it, and then start taking steps towards it. I think I think many people find themselves surprised what they can accomplish.
2: Thank you so much, Steve Hoffman, for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, Christine. Always lovely talking to you.
2: After talking with Steve, it's clear that there's sort of a sense of discord in building a tech company, particularly one that can become so integral to how people get information and relate to one another. He says to start a company, you have to dive into the deep end. But he also says that the only responsible way to act is to really put an effort into anticipating the future. When he was hacking together a way for people to share memes and cat pictures and shower thoughts, he didn't think someday his site could be a place for foreign hackers who would be looking to sow discord amongst American voters in the 2016 election or that it could contribute to the rise of a president. He suggests the executives of other social sites need to also look toward the future right now, and that business owners have a responsibility for not only building their view of the future out in their minds, but multiplying whatever effects they anticipate by 10. That's fascinating, and that's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. If you're a new listener, welcome. Please subscribe to What I Know wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone interested in startups, entrepreneurship, or evolving as a leader, send them some links to your favorite episodes. Also, it's truly helpful if you could leave us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes two seconds, and it helps other people who love this podcast find us. You can also drop us a note anytime at whatiknowatinc.com. Who is an entrepreneur you admire, whose story you'd love to hear? You can also let me know on Twitter at Ligorio. Our producer, who is currently building out a robust meme-spreading community at The Josh, is Joshua Christensen. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know.